0: Well, thanks again for being here. Are you enjoying the service so far? That's good stuff. We are glad that you're here. And I I don't know if you caught the very beginning, but the staff was making fun of me. I I don't know if you got that. What I've learned from last Sunday is some stories are better left untold. And what I'd like to tell the staff today is some images are better left unseen. So we're in a series called Making Sense of God. And as we worked through that last Sunday, we talked about the fact that, that there's even meaning in life, that we all sense we have a purpose of meaning, that points to God. And without God, no meaning, no purpose in life. And today, we're going to expand on that, and we're going to talk about the fact of morality. The fact that we always, all of us, have some type of morality deep down in us, that that's actually an evidence for God. And so, we have all our comp- uh, campuses streaming in today we got bloomville joining us as well so great to see them and we are we're getting ready here to blast off and where i'd like to start is romans chapter one but before i get there i would like to just stop and as we reflect on what's happening in houston and and all the stuff going on there just have a time of prayer there's actually a today is being set aside as a day for prayer in our nation uh to do that so so let's do that together let's pray Father in heaven, we thank you for the privilege we have in our country that we can meet together and we can worship you, and we can uh, talk about you, spread your word, and we can do that in freedom, and, and we know that's not true of a lot of places in the world, and so we thank you for that freedom. And Father, right now our focus is on uh, the Houston area and the victims that there who have lost everything, some of them, their house has been flooded, or they've even lost a loved one. Father, we pray that you would strengthen them and help them and and maybe even use this circumstance to help them see you. And Father, we also pray for those people who are down there trying to help and uh, make a difference, Lord, that you give them the strength and the energy that they need as well. And God, we we thank you that we live in a country where people can respond uh, to crises like that. And we're thankful for the people even from our area that have done just that and from our church. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We, we'll get back to that in a minute. Actually, we're going to provide a, a way for you to, to join us in helping if you want to do that uh, later uh, in my talk. But uh, right now, we'd like to kind of blast forward. And one more thing is, well, a couple more things. We have a team heading to Thailand soon, and so we'd like you to be in prayer for that. They leave this week. And... Uh, just to reconnect, we have two orphanages in Thailand, so reconnect with uh, our kids and our staff. We have two in college now, so you'll be hearing all about that. And then uh, also the whole baptism thing that, that Jess talked about. Hey, if, if, you're, if you've uh, put your trust in Christ and you've not followed Him in believer's baptism, being dunked underwater after that happened, then uh, there's still time for you to, to jump in. That's just two weeks from today. That came fast, didn't it? You know, just two weeks, and, and what you can do is just grab one of those cards in front of you, fill that out, and uh, and the offering's already done, but if you drop it off at the information table on the way out, we'll contact you and tell you what your next steps are, and we'll make that happen, put you on the list. So I encourage you to do that, follow God and Believer's Baptism. All right, we're at Romans uh, chapter 1, and we're talking about morality, and it. And I want to be sensitive to everybody that's here. So, not everybody here is a believer. And and we've invited our community to come here, as always. And so, if you're an agnostic or an atheist or you're just not sure, we're glad that you're here with us. And I'm going to read a portion of Scripture. And I'm going to give an argument for morality, for evidence for God. But I want you to know that the argument doesn't stand on the Scripture, the Scripture just parallels. Paul basically makes the same argument but I'm saying the argument stands on its own because some of you would say, well, who says scripture? That question will be answered next Sunday. So come back if you have any questions about how do we know the Bible's right and how do we know even have the same Bible that we did that they did in the first century and how do we know all that? You're gonna find that out next Sunday. But now let's get to Romans chapter one where it says this in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven "'Against all ungodliness and unrighteousness "'of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, "'because that which is known about God "'is evident within them. "'For God made it evident to them. "'For since the creation of the world His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature "'have been clearly seen, "'being understood through what has been made, "'so that they are without excuse. "'For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And so here's what Paul's writing in the first century. And basically, he's telling us that there is evidence pointing to God. And that's my first point, basically, that, that there's evidence, God's existence is evident through the evidence that we see, but we have this tendency to suppress it. So first of all, it's, it's like external evidence in that we can look around and we can make a case for God. For example, the, uh, the Big Bang, beginning of the universe. Here's what's going on there. Scientists know now that the universe is expanding so if you just put that in reverse, they know now that the universe had a beginning, that it came from a point in time, and matter began at, in a time and space, a point in time and space. And so that's, that's really uh, something that nobody's arguing, but the question is, if that happened, well, who caused that to happen? Who, who started that process? You know, and, and then you have matter, and then we won't even get into life, we'll, we'll do that later, but you got... This, uh, you know, this, the cause of all that. We can see the fine-tuning in the universe. The more we find out about science, the more we understand how rare it is, how unique it is that we have a planet that can sustain organic and human life. And then the odds of that are astronomical, literally. The, the last thing I read is, and these are scientists trying to put the odds down, because they believe in a naturalistic interpretation. That's their philosophy entering into science, for some scientists. Well, then they realize the odds of this happening. Last thing I read was a tr- one in a trillion trillion that there would be a universe, not an earth, a universe that could support organic and human life. Do you understand what they're saying when they say that? They're saying there's like no chance that happens in a universe. But if there were a trillion, trillion universes, then maybe that would happen. Well, there's no evidence for another one universe at all, not a shred of evidence for that. That's speculation because why? Because of their naturalistic assumptions when they enter into science that they're saying there has to be some other way. Well, there must be a bunch of universes for this to just happen to produce life. So that's that argument. And you call that the fine-tuning argument or the anthropic principle or the Goldilocks scenario, you know, however you, it's just right. You know, however you want to look at that, the odds are astronomical. There's no God. How did that happen? It makes no sense. The regularity of nature, the laws of nature. Well, if there's no God, why, why are there laws of nature? Why do we know things are repeated? Why do we assume all of scientific evidence is is based on the assumption of the laws of nature. Well, but we have no evidence to say they're going to continue tomorrow. Where does that come from? And then, just to put it on a a lower level, a very practical daily level, we drive into church and we see the world around us, the beauty, the nature, the balance that we see everywhere. Evidence of God. Because balance and beauty and order Never come from chaos, from an explosion. It doesn't happen that way. So just driving into church today, you see evidence for God. And and I don't want to belabor that. I could talk all day, and you guys know, yeah, he can talk all day about this. Yeah, I I can talk, but I want to shift to something else. So yeah, there's all these evidences, and we'll get more to that. We're going to talk about the Bible. We're going to talk about pain and suffering was a big question people have. We're going to talk about science, all those things coming. But today, I want to get back a little bit more philosophy to just say, hey, There's evidence of God inside you, not just out there, but even internal evidence. This is what Paul is alluding to, and the evidence is, and by the way, if you believe in God, Big Bang makes sense. God started it, time and space, that's what he said. Uh, Fine-tuning of the universe, that's exactly what we would expect, Order and balance in creation? Of course, that all makes perfect sense. We don't have to figure out why that would be. But when it comes to internal evidence, we need to think this through. There's things inside of us that point to God, and here's what I'm talking about. All human beings believe that some things are wrong. And not just wrong for them, but wrong for everyone. Now, if all human beings just think something is wrong and that's just their opinion for them, that's not an argument for God. Although it could be, but we'll get back to that. But if you're saying, no, objectively, universally, some things are right and some things are wrong, that is an argument from God, because then the question is, who says? Why? How can that be? If, if we're just an accidental collection of atoms that got here as a product, a survival of the fittest, who says something's right and who says something's wrong? As a matter of fact, one of the way to share your faith to somebody who doesn't believe in God is to simply help them see this. You know, ask them, well, do you believe anything happening anywhere is wrong? And of course, we all feel some things are wrong, and they'll say yes, and then just say, well, why? Why is it wrong for that person to do that? Because that sounds like a... Moral obligation that you're talking about. Without a God, there can be more values for an individual, but there can't be moral obligation for people in general. Uh, People have strong moral convictions right now. But unlike previous generations, they really have no visible basis as to why they find some things to be good and others evil. Again, who says? There's no answer for that. For example, the the whole Houston thing that is on everybody's mind all over the news and all that, it's not just evil, it's good. So uh, the Houston thing happens, and so we've had some men from our church head down there. Scott Goodwin, uh, who is back now, went down with some guys from uh, Ballville, and we also had Jonathan Zanoni head down out of Marblehead, a crew out of there, and he's down there right now, be back in a couple weeks probably. Uh, we had uh, Valde Flores, who is, is, ha, has a truck, and at his own expense and his own gas, he started collecting supplies, stopped in a few cities, and drove those down uh, to Texas. And so, we have all these things happen, and generally, people would say, that's good. Every, you know, Christians and non-Christians are like, yeah, that's, that's good stuff. Or the fact that we have orphanages in Thailand, same thing. In general, people would say, well, hey, that's a good thing. You're helping people. But the question is who I mean if you think about it you know it's who helps so as we're helping all these people um, if you want to help us do that for example we have we know that there are people in Texas who are uh, related to people as members of grace who are in contact with them who have lost everything their houses have been flooded and all that and actually we want to provide for you like a text to give that right now you can direct resources if you want to. We're not pushing this or twisting your arm or anything, but here's how you do it. If you're set up for this, and remember I told you it'll be handy for you to set up for this, you just text 84321, and then put in a a dollar amount and need, I guess that is, or or need is the, the thing that really directs it to where we want it to go, and you type in any dollar amount, and it'll kind of prompt you to do that. So do that if you want. And we're, we'll just tell you that we'll personally make sure that 100% of those donations get to where we intend it to get, and there's no overhead and all that, that and all the stuff that, you, that we know happens, you know, with some places. But anyway, so, so many people want to do good. Go back to that picture. So many people want to do good that you have this. It's like a traffic jam of people trying to get there to help, people from all communities. Again, we have a couple... People just from our community. Because people see it as good. Although it's way easier to see this when you flip it and say people see what, you know, do they look out there and see evil. And here's the deal. Um, I think people in our culture know deep down inside there must be a God. But they suppress that truth. It's either uncomfortable for them, they don't want to think about it, or they think there's no way you can know, you know. And, and then, then they take a step back from morality because of that. they want more, more morality to be the way they call morality. For example, it's not uncommon. I, I hear this all the time. Something along these lines. When you talk to people about God or what's right and wrong, people will say, nobody has the right, nobody should impose their moral views on others. Because everyone has the right to find the truth within themselves. Anytime you start talking about, you know, it comes up in abortion or whatever, nobody has the right to impose their moral views on other people. Anytime somebody says that, and maybe you've said that, that opens you up to some very uncomfortable questions. Okay, so you're saying... Nobody has the right to impose their moral views on others to say that's wrong. Okay, well, if you're, if you're saying that, do you believe anything out there is wrong? And of course they do. And then, okay, well, by what standard is it wrong? That's you imposing your moral views on them. But, and they'll say, so how can you do that? And they'll say, because just everybody knows this is wrong. How do we know that? Why do we know that? Without God, we don't know that, and we cannot show that somebody else's point of view isn't just as valid as our own. When you say that, you're actually saying deep down that there is an objective or universal moral standard that we all ought to live by. But anytime you say somebody else ought to, all of a sudden now, you're not talking about moral values, you're talking about moral obligation on other people. You cannot have moral obligation for someone else unless there is a God, because you have no other basis for it. You can have moral values, hey, well, I choose to do this, this is the way I feel, and some of this is good stuff. Great. But as soon as you say somebody else ought to do this or ought to do what I'm doing, now all of a sudden, you're doing that, if you don't believe in God, you have no basis for saying that we all believe not only in moral values without realizing it we also all believe in moral obligation and without realizing it that also points to all of us we really believe in God whether we admit it or not I'll give you an example so I went to Thailand a few years ago been there several times and often fly in and out often you know once every couple years fly in and out of Asia and several times I've talked to European students who are traveling to Asia, and a lot of times they're just going to get experiences or whatever, and even sometimes they're visiting orphanages like our orphanage, just students on a team kind of traveling around and seeing the world, I guess is what they're doing. And if you talk to them, when they find out, and not believers, haven't met one that's a believer yet, when they find out that we have two orphanages in Thailand and that we you know, pay for their schooling, private schooling, this, that, and the other thing, but that also we teach them about Christianity, they they all think that's wrong. Teaching them Christianity, that's not your culture. You're imposing your moral values onto these people who have a different culture and different values. You cannot do that. Who says you're right and they're wrong? Fair question. But now, then, if I say, well... Their culture says that everybody is not equal, and they actually, if you want to get really kind of gross about it, they say that it's not wrong for adults to to gratify themselves sexually with children. What do you think about that? And they would say, that is wrong. Well, that's their culture. No, that's wrong. Of course, we agree that's wrong. But the point is, then you say, well, that's wrong. Okay, so now you're picking what things you're saying their culture is not good enough for and when your values trump their values. You're doing the same thing I'm doing because all human beings do this. Because there actually is a moral and universal standard of morality, and it's from God. That's the point that you can make. Now... New atheists with this conundrum, new atheists will say this. They'll say, well, because we'll say there's no morality with that God. And then they'll say, the new atheists will say, well, we can create morality and we can create human rights. So they don't exist objectively because there is no God, but we can make them happen. And then the question is, well, how do you do that? And then they'll say, well, for example, you can legislate morality, you can If you can, but the majority can pass laws that says people have rights. But here's a problem with that. If you can create rights through legislation, then you can also take rights away through legislation, right? If you can, if if that's how you're getting your morality and your rights through legislation, well, then legislation can undo all that. That's the problem with that. You cannot create universal rights even by legislation, because legislation, they can be taken away that way. And if, our, and if it's not that way, if, okay, we need a better system. If our rights are universal, just basic human rights are really objective and universal, then there must be a God who teaches objective morality. By the way, our founding fathers of this country, they understood that perfectly. They're in a struggle with England. The law says, kind of like they're second-class citizens, and they say, that's not right. You cannot do that. But England says, that's the law. That's what the king says. And so what do they appeal to? Do they appeal to legislation? Look at it, Declaration of Independence. Here's what it says. Do we have it? We hold these truths truths, to be self-evident comes from in us that you can see this it's obvious they're saying that all men are created equal and why is that that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life liberty and the pursuit of happiness so what do they do they realize they can't appeal to legend they were way ahead of their thinking than we are in our culture today in a lot of ways. They were way ahead saying, hey, if we're want, if we saying that human beings really do have rights, that, and, and it doesn't matter what a country says or a culture says, then they've got to come from their creator, God. And they're exactly right when they said that. They were spot on. Now, I'm not saying, please understand this, it's a mistake to argue with an atheist and imply that people don't believe in God, have no moral values. Because they do. There, for example, there's a bunch of people heading down to Texas to try to help. Some of those people will be atheists. Not near as many of them as Christians, but there will be some there. Atheists, they can do good things. And often, sometimes Christians will talk to an atheist and they'll find this guy's a pretty moral guy. And it'll freak you out a little bit. Don't that, That's exactly what the Bible's telling us. We're basically all the same. But here's the difference. We the atheists that have morals, they're self-created morals. And so that works, and they can do that. And they and, and sometimes you'll see a Christian and an atheist, it could be the atheist lives a more moral life than the Christian. That's possible. But here's what I'm saying. You can create your own morals without God. You just cannot create objective or universal or any type of moral obligation without God. Example of that is secularists. secularist naturalists will notice so they don't believe in God, everything's natural. And they'll they'll view nature and realize, wow, nature is pretty violent. It's a strong eat the weak. You know, it's 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 kind of messy out there. And they believe that's and, and they also believe in evolution. That's where we came from. Strong eat the weak, survival of the fittest, the strongest live, the weak die. And that's the way it's supposed to be. So they believe that. But then when some human being who's stronger hurts or violates the rights of or kills another human being who's weaker, they would say that's wrong. Well, why? Why would that be wrong if we're all products of evolution, where it's survival of the fittest, strong eat the weak? That would be totally right. That would be natural that we would do that. Of course, the strong steps on the weak. That's how we got here, that's how we're wired up. That's the traits that's been passed on to us. But people don't believe that. They don't believe strong people should kill weak people for the most part, especially in the Western world. The fact is, all of us, Christians, atheists, we all basically believe that napalming babies is bad. And it is. And despite the fact that people can't justify human rights in a world without God, they still live and kind of know that those rights exist. A great illustration of that is Martin Luther King, Jr. Martin Luther King, Jr. was in the South during segregation, and he realizes this is wrong. This is a violation of basic human rights. But notice what he appealed to. Martin Luther King realized that he can't appeal to legislation, although that happened it can't be just we change a law, or it can't just be a judicial edict. He realized that for these rights to be permanent and universal and not taken away, he had to really uh, refer, refer to a higher source. So Martin Luther King Jr. says the rights of people are not based on the laws of the land. He says the rights of people are based on the biblical understanding that we are created by God. So the way he shook the conscience of a country was not saying, hey, our laws are a little jacked up and they need to be tweaked. He is saying what we're doing is a sin. It's an affront to God. It's wrong. It's morally wrong because God has created us in His image, all of us, and we're all equal in His sight. And that's what shook the conscience of a nation. So if you believe human rights are a reality then it makes much more sense to believe in the existence of God, a world with God, rather than a world without God. And it's not just that. We're saying all this external evidence too. What we're saying is, and we'll continue to say this, is the evidence inside and out of us, as we review all that evidence, the theory that, it's all, that, that, it's, that what we see is really a world with God fits the evidence better than the theory that everything we see around us is a product of a world without God. That's all we're saying. Go with the evidence. Go with the truth. So, we have this objective morality. We tend to suppress it. And the next question is, Why? God's existence is evident, and because of that, we should honor Him. That's what Paul was saying, but we don't. We fail to honor Him. And why would we do that? Well, even though there's all these pointers to God, everything we see around us, even inside of us, what we feel is right or wrong, all points to God. We suppress that, and we don't want to honor God. Why? Because we have a stake in the game we don't want an authority over our life. We don't want to feel like we owe someone. We don't want to feel like somebody else can tell us what to do. So that's why there's all these questions about the existence of God, even when deep down I think people know, yeah, there must be a God. It's hard not to think. It's hard to think there is no God. And so that's why a lot of people just say, well, we just can't know. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm an atheist, which is the agnostic position more. You know, we just can't know. We can't really know the truth. That's a self-defeating statement. We, you're making this universal statement, we can't know the truth. How do we know that's true? If we can't know the truth, how can you declare a truth that we can't know it? What if we can? That's what we're saying. We can. As a matter of fact... Romans one twenty five says this, for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who's blessed forever. Amen. Evidence points to a Creator God who's good, who's powerful, but because people don't want to submit to God in their own intellect, they come up with reasons to doubt God and argue against God so they don't feel like they have to serve Him, because we all rather worship ourselves and serve ourselves, the creature, rather than the Creator. Even our conscience, even the fact that we, we tend to feel things are right and wrong in, in our heart inside of us, even though that's not exactly the same for everybody, but everybody has something of that. That's evidence of God. Here's the way Paul puts it in Romans 2, a little later in that. In Romans 2.14 he says, For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these, not having the law, are a law to themselves. What he's saying there is, when it comes to God's existence, even people that don't know God have this feeling That they have this conscience that's saying that they feel guilty sometimes. Well, why? Uh, Atheists would say, well, they violated societal norms. No, I think some people are beyond that. They really feel that some things are right and some things are wrong. And last point: they not only fail to God, here's what I've noticed that, that always surprises me: that bad things happen and people feel moral outrage against that. Uh, Napalming babies, you know, if that was happening, or taking people's rights, oppressing people, killing people, genocide. And we look at stuff like that and we say, we're outraged, that is wrong. So we believe we are justified in our moral outrage, and it is wrong. But then when we find out that God has wrath against sin, then people are like, Whoa, a God of that's not the God I know. The God I know is love. The God I know, you know, doesn't condemn people. Well, the God you, the God of the Bible's telling us that God's wrath is upon us because of our rebellion and sin. That 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 makes sense because there is justice in the world. I mean, that's how he started out, right? Romans 1:18. That's we started that passage, first verse we read a while ago, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And the problem is we really all stand condemned because we've all done wrong. Just like napalming babies is wrong. And by the way, before we were too smug about that in our country. Half a million to a million babies are killed legally in our country every year. Not that much different. But I'm not here to condemn anybody. Here's what I'm trying to say. We are all guilty. You and me, we are all guilty. We all stand in judgment of God because God is perfectly just, and God has told us what's right and wrong. He's revealed us His standard. Keep God first. Never lie. Never lust. Never, you know, covet. I mean, He's just laid it all out for us. Don't steal. Honor your parents all the time. And we've all violated those commands, and we all stand condemned because that's all a rebellion against our Creator, good, our good and just Creator God. And God is just, and justice demands that sin be punished. Just the way we want justice done, when somebody does something against us, we scream for justice. Or when we see people being hurt or oppressed, we yell for justice. Well, we're all going to get justice. It's not going to be pretty. And so we all stand condemned because of our sin, our rebellion against God, but because God loves us, Because God does love us, he made a way. A way to forgive us and save us from the right penalty of our sin and reconcile us back to him. And he did that. It came at a great price, the death of his son. That he allowed his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to enter history 2,000 years ago. To clothe himself with humanity and grow up and live as a human being and he did not sin the only person who walked the planet who did not commit a sin who did not do anything wrong but ultimately he came to die for us the only person who didn't deserve death allowed his creation to put him to death suffer and die on a cross in order to pay for our Personal sins, all of them, past, present, future. And the way we get that as a personal gift, how we get that accredited to us as individuals, is through something that the Bible calls faith. And that is that we believe faith in Jesus, we believe who Jesus is, the Son of God, and we trust in the fact that his death on the cross was sufficient to pay for. All our personal sins, past, present, and future. Because that's what the Bible teaches. And so all we have to do is come to Him in faith. As a matter of fact, there's a a verse in Scripture that says in Romans 10, 13, that says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Why this terminology, saved? Saved from the just and right penalty for our sin. That's what he's talking about. This is the most important decision that you'd ever make, and I I would ask you to contemplate this. Here's what I want you to do in just a a moment. Tim's going to step up and and actually sing the song that he's been strumming. And, uh, and, And while that happens, I want all of us to be sitting here with our heads bowed. And if you don't know where you're at in your relationship with God, but you're realizing maybe for the first time that God knows you and loves you, and has made a way at great cost at to have a relationship with you if you just respond, that he's inviting you in. He loves you. You're not here by an accident. He's inviting you into a relationship. And basically, it's ABC. Admit your sin. Believe. Have faith in Jesus. And commit to following him. Cry out to him. Come to him. Ask God for forgiveness. Admit your sin. Put your faith, trust in Jesus. Tell him that and ask Him to help you follow Him, which none of us do perfectly. Do that while Tim sings right now. Everyone, let's bow our heads and make that happen. I'm to lead us in prayer. And after that prayer, I'm just going to ask you for a response. I don't want to manipulate you or embarrass you in any way, and I won't do that after we pray, while our heads are still bowed, I'm going to ask if you prayed that prayer to God for the first time that you know of on those grounds that you're admitting your sin understanding Jesus died for you and you're asking for forgiveness based on that, and you want God in your life to help you live and you, you called out to God in that way before you do that let's pray, Father we thank you for your goodness, we thank you Lord, that you not just know us, you love us personally. You, you know us as individuals and you love us so much that you've loved us at great cost, sacrifice, allowing your son to come and give up his life for us. And Father, we, so in that way, we thank you for his death and his resurrection and the joy that we can have in the most terrible thing that ever happened. And Father, we thank you for these today who have come into a relationship with you for the first time by just taking you up on your invitation to be reconciled to them through your son, Jesus. Thanks, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Heads down if you do that for me. And again, don't want to make anybody feel awkward, but we'd just like to know and pray for you. And I don't want to call anybody out by name, and I may not even know your name. But I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, and, and that's just know that, that I will pray for you, we will pray for you, and we're here to help you in any way if you need anything. But we're going to start on the left side of the auditorium, your left. Um, if you prayed that prayer, if you just slip your hand up, kind of make eye contact with me. I'm looking around, All everybody else, is, their head's bowed, and just put it right back down. That's all I'm asking you to do is slip it up, let me see it, and put it back down. Anybody on the left side? Made that prayer your prayer, as far as you know. For the first time, I see you right over there. Thank you. Thanks for that. Anyone else? See you. Thank you. Anyone else? And then, how about the right hand side? Thank you. See you. Thank you. Put your hand up. Let me see it, and put it right back down. Anyone else? Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Father, we thank you for these who have responded in this service and last service. And Lord, that uh, you give them just the right start They'd feel your presence. Lord, that they would know that grace is a place to help them Join us and so we can all grow closer to you. God, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Tim's going to come up and, and close us out. I'd like you to stand right now. And uh, when the song's over and Tim dismisses, just know if you want to talk to a pastor, the corner of this room right back here, we have a room called room one. Just pop in there for as little or as much time as you want. And we'd be happy to talk with you.